starting a new series, and um, I want to give you something. It's not much, but I don't want someone to come and say, I've gone to church for years, and I've given money, and I've never received any. So we're going to change that a little bit today. And I have, I have a jar of pennies here. I believe there's enough for everybody to get a penny. So I would really like for each of you to get a penny. So Jeremiah, come up here, please. And uh, Jeremiah's going to help me. This jar of penny, I want you to walk around. I want you to make sure everybody gets a penny, okay? And then just bring the jar back once everybody's got one. That'd be great. So we're giving out money today. Um, yeah, I, I know it's not that impressive, but we're giving out money. Um, if you don't want it, put it in the offering plate. JC will take it. We balance our budget. Um, you know, we're, this is December the 2nd, and this is the day I've been looking forward to for a while. Partly because it's the first Sunday of Advent, and I've been thinking about, wow, it comes around again every year, and we get to celebrate together, and it's a rich and wonderful time. Partly because I think the Lord has been leading me to understand and speak some things that, um, that I need to hear, even myself, and that we need to hear corporately. And so we're starting these, what I'm calling 90 Days of Transformation, and I'd really like you to go on this journey with me. I'd really like you to see it as a journey. So as Jeremiah comes around and he gives you a penny, I want you to think, you know, nobody starts with zero. None of us start with nothing. Before we were ever born, Christ planned for us and anticipated us and then knit us together in our mother's womb and made us. And when we entered this world, we couldn't feed ourselves, we couldn't walk, we couldn't talk, we couldn't do uh, calculus. But none of us started at zero. That's not the way it works with us. The Lord can do that, but we never can. Out of nothing he can create, we cannot. When we create, it's always creating out of something. So you're not starting with zero. It may just be a penny. So as you hold on to that penny, it may not be that you go, I don't have much. I don't have a whole lot of talent. I haven't been given a lot of intelligence. I'm not very well educated. And we can go on and on and on and talk about our deficiencies, but not a one of us starts at zero. So each of you gets a penny, and I mean everybody needs a penny. If there's a two-year-old here, just make sure they don't swallow it, but they get a penny. <clears throat> I told you I was going to give you stuff today to help us and guide us through the 90 days ahead of us. I've made some journals. If we run out of these, that's great. We'll make more. Karen and I can make more. This is a journal that I've put together. It's a weekly thing. So you don't have to go, wow, I've got to do this every day with the pastor. No, you can do this Saturday night. You can do this Sunday morning while you're racing to church to try and get here on time. It's a once-a-week thing, okay? Um, it's intended to be something you write in and helps you and guides you in some things that I would like us to try uh, and suggest that we do together. So I'm going to have these journals up here, and um, Jeremiah's still walking around. I get it. So, okay, Christina and Vaughn, come up here. If somebody wants one of these, Stephen, you guys spread them out, share them around. Um, I want you to have a journal, and you'll see that this will track you through the 90 days. And so we're going to start these 90 days today in 
Advent with a season of preparation. If you take one and you lose it, you can pick one up next Sunday. We'll have more. But I would suggest this. Write your name on the front because as you take notes in there, we want you to track with this. There's some things we're going to do at the end of the 90 days that if you have this journal and you've worked through it, it's going to, it's going to be a lot easier and it's going to make a lot more sense to you at that point. So, so take one, please, and join me in tracking with this. So... Advent is the season of preparation. We're going to move through Advent and into the Sunday after Christmas. And then we're just going to go into a season of listening. And um, just 30 days of listening. Um, actually, it's a little bit more than that because, we, yeah, just, that's fine. Just leave them right here at the front. And if you didn't get one or you want another one to share with a family member or a friend who's not here, come up afterwards and grab another one. Um, so... We're going to start with this preparation thing because I've become convinced in my life that there's nothing I've done with the Lord that he didn't prepare me for. That he didn't already do this preparatory work in my life. In Wesleyan theology, we call that prevenient grace. We, we say that God did things, gracious things. He extended his grace to us even before we knew him and acknowledged him and turned from our sin. And so the next four weeks of uh, actually five weeks, we're going to do it for five Sundays, we're going to be talking about preparation. And we're going to use the Advent candles and the Advent readings to move us in that direction. So today we're talking about preparing hope. And uh, then we're going to go into a season of listening, and then we're going to wrap it up as we come right up against Lent with a season of leaving. And how, how we let go of things. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Jeremiah. You did awesome. How we let go of things... And, and turn them over to the Lord. Some things we just need to put behind us and never pick up again. Or some things we need to just let them go so we can pick something else up. And so we'll talk about that in the leaving piece. But for now, I want you to hold on to your penny. Okay? And I want you to think about this. God has given each of us something. He's given each of us life. And so we have something. And you're holding on to something. It may not seem like much. And to be honest, if, you, if there was enough light in here and you looked at those pennies, a lot of those pennies are really old. A lot of those pennies have been around a while. They've had hundreds of hands on them. They're not new. They're not shiny. But they're still worth a penny. But that's about it. So as we think about preparing and preparing hope, I, I want you to acknowledge a few things with me. And then we're going to go into this scripture reading that comes out of today's readings for the first Sunday of Advent. I want you to acknowledge with me a couple of things that we know. They've been promised to us, so let's, let's live in those things. First of all, let's acknowledge that we know that Jesus is coming. It's interesting to me that when Jesus came as a baby, there were people who knew he was coming. There was a tip-off. And God let people in on it and said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send the Messiah. And it's going to happen. And there were people who knew that it was coming. And so we have these people in the story that, that they were somehow prepared in advance for this. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of them. So there's, there's Simeon in the temple that God spoke to him and said, you know what, Simeon, you're not going to die until the Messiah comes and you will see him. How amazing is that? That the Lord would say to Simeon, you're going to live long enough to see the promised Messiah. There were the Magi who were not even Jewish, that were from Babylon, 
who had some connection, and we're not sure, biblical scholars don't know how they knew, but they knew, and they followed a star, and they came to Herod, and they said, hey, we heard that a king has been born. They were prepared. They even were so prepared, they brought gifts. I can't even be that prepared. I'm doing good to get you a card. They were prepared. They they took a long journey. They got there, and they brought their stuff. And so God prepares people and he says, hey, I'm coming, my Messiah is coming, my son is coming to earth. And people were included on that. Then we know that Jesus was very clear when he was here on earth and he said over and over again that he would come again. And not only that he would come again, but he made this great and audacious promise that when he left, the Holy Spirit would come. And he said this thing that I really struggle with, but Jesus said, I'm going to go, and when I go, the Spirit will come, and you will have the Holy Spirit, and you will do... Can anyone remember what, what he said they would do? Greater. Say it. Greater, La- greater things than I Greater things than I have done. And so he's saying, hey, you know, you disciples, you watch me raise people from the dead, you watch me turn water into wine, blind people see... You know, money comes out of a fish's mouth, not just out of a pastor's hand or pocket. And he says, you're going to do greater things than that. Because I'm preparing you. I'm sending someone. And so in that, we have this hope that we somehow can get ready for what God is going to do. And I don't think God coming again is just about... You know, the sky splitting and the trumpet and the day of judgment and the apocalyptic thing, although I think there's truth to that too. But I really think that God is ready to come here among us in our city and do something new. So we get ready and part of that preparation is that we exercise our hope. So we hold on to something that's really small and seems insignificant, but we hope that there's something better, greater, coming that this isn't it this is just the promise of something better and so i want you to think about this and we'll revisit this it's it's so continue this what you've got that little penny or what you have in your life what you were born with what you were given what your lot in life is what you've got is not what you will have what you've got is not what you will have We're going to look at this passage of scripture in a moment, but I wanted to start with a point. And that is that we, we live in a time where people are terrified. People are really scared. And when people get really scared, they do really scary things. And so we watch people who uh, ordinarily would not consider doing things that suddenly now they'll do things they would never have done before because all of a sudden fear motivates them and they they are really moved by that and we can argue about this but i really think that right now in our country the biggest mass motivator of people is fear it's not hope it's not promise it's not a dream it's fear and we're afraid of everything we're afraid of russia we're afraid of immigrants We're afraid of gun control. We're afraid of not having gun control. We're afraid of a politician that's 
someone we didn't vote for. We're afraid of shootings at our schools. We're afraid of strangers we encounter downtown. And we're afraid and we live in fear. Some of you have been to South Africa with me and you can see where fear has been resident for a long time. In South Africa, I grew up with fear and white people were always afraid of black people and there was this conjured up myth that black people are always dangerous and waiting to kill you. And over the years, that crafted, that helped them build a system that was an ungodly system. And over the years, it created a system of separation of economics. And now you can go over there and you can see there's really, really wealthy people and there's really, really poor people and there's very few people in between. And the really, really wealthy people live in really nice houses and really nice cities behind really tall walls with lots of concertina wire and electric fences. I'm not overstating that. Some of the people that have been with me can verify that. And so they're really, really afraid and they have built these little compounds and tried to keep everybody out because everybody is a threat. If I'm black, the white people are a threat. If I'm white, the black people are a threat. If I'm rich, the poor people are a threat. And if I'm poor, the rich people are a threat. And so everybody is standing afraid of each other and in opposition. And thankfully, there have been a few significant voices that have said, you know, it does not have to be this way. But we live in an era when everyone is more motivated by being terrified because there's terrorist groups all around, the, uh, all around the globe that are trying to do things and we should be afraid of them. They can blow up airplanes and they can behead Christians and things like that and we should be terrified. But we know Jesus is coming. We've been promised that. The trouble is oftentimes we live as though he's not. And so we've got to put things into our lives and we've got to build our own sense of hope, our own sense of protection, and we've got to get everything organized and laid out. And just even departing from politics, I've got to make sure that my, my, you know, that my 401k is fully funded because there's no way God takes care of me once I leave this job and retire. I got to make sure that I save up enough money for college because there's no way I can go to college if I don't have $40,000 in my pocket. I've got to go out bar hopping to find somebody that might find me attractive because there's no way God's going to bring a person into my life, a godly person into my life that will fall in love with me and make a life together with me. And so we're afraid and instead of hoping... We get into despair and we start to do things and we start to make decisions that are not wise decisions and harm us. And then we wonder why things are such a mess. So we want to be people who are getting ready and one of the things we're going to do to get ready is we're going to exercise hope. We're going to go, no, that's not what we do. We're going to exercise hope. And I just want to remind you that what we've got is not what we're going to have. And that's hope. When we say what I've got is not as good as what I'm going to get. Here's this passage in Luke chapter 21. Verses 25 through 36. It's a longer passage, but bear with me. Jesus is talking and he says, There will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. I'm just going to stop there for a second, and I'm just, I just want to suggest that um, when I was a kid, I heard about tsunamis, 
what they were, theoretically, but I can't ever remember hearing one taking place, but we sure hear about them now, don't we? And my best friend is a nuclear engineer, and I was asking him when we were sitting down together this fall, I said, I said, John, tell me about Fukushima and why that nuclear plant in Japan, it, it, it went so badly. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, he goes, they, they weren't ready. They weren't really prepared for that kind of an earthquake, that kind of a wave, and it was really bad. And he went on to describe that, and I won't take time to do that. But here's, here's this scenario, and God says, you know, strange things are going to happen up in the sky, and the sun, and the moon, and down here on earth, the seas are going to roar, and the tides are going to change, and it's going to be really strange. And remember this? People will be terrified. That's what Jesus said. People are going to be scared of what's going on. They're going to be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. We live in an era where people are afraid and we're motivated more by fear than anything else. And yet we have been promised the Son of God, the Son of Man is coming. He's coming. Not just once more, but he comes again and again and again for us. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. I'm just going to stop here for a minute. That is not what I was expecting to read. I thought, you know, as you start reading through this, you go, when you see all this scary stuff happening, stop and look up and be sore afraid, right? That's what we used to say in the King James Version. Be terrified. Look up and be scared to death. May the fear of God occupy your hearts. No, that's not what he says. You stand, you look up, you see these strange cataclysmic things happening. I want you to stand up and look up and say, my salvation is here. It's near. That's hope. That's hope. In the midst of everything coming apart and looking like a catastrophe, to say God is, is near and he is doing his good work. Then he gave them this illustration. Notice the fig tree and any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know, without being told, that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. I want you to consider this. What you've got is not what you will have. Because here's the thing, you may be looking and saying, well, I do have a little bit. I mean, I got my health. I got a church where I'm loved. I got a family. I've got a little bit. But in the context of this passage I read, I think that we might think we have a little bit and we're going to look around and go, wow, but that is nowhere near enough. There's no way what I've got is going to be enough because the things around me are coming apart. So, 
I've got something, but it's not enough. I'm, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not intelligent enough. And so I'm undone. And I just want to stop and say, remember, the Son of God is coming and our salvation is near. You see, with the Son of Man coming, Jesus always means hope. I have yet to find a, pay, a, a passage in the Gospels where Jesus showed up and things got worse. At least not in the, the context of eternity. I mean, things got really bad, you know. Things got really bad. Guy got his ear cut off. Things got really bad. I mean, people died and came back to life. That's not very pleasant. But when Jesus was there, it always served a greater purpose and there was no suffering without hope. So I think that if Jesus means hope for us and for the world, then Jesus' people should be people of hope. And I I say that because I think that maybe we need to do a little bit of repentance. I know I have to do this. I've had to do this this week. To say, you know, God, when I look around me and I see all this stuff and I go, oh, wow, this is bad. I'm a realist. And sometimes that makes me a pessimist. And I look around and I go, I don't like it and it's bad and it's going to get worse. And, and I give up being Jesus people and I turn into being fearful people. And I turn into being negative people and the glory and the wonder and the gift of the Son of God is lost because all I see are storm clouds. And like Peter who jumped out of a boat and had his eyes fixed on Jesus and then started looking around and go, wow, there's lots of lightning and thunder and waves. And as soon as he did, he sunk. And he went from being like Jesus to being like drowned. But if we are Jesus' people, we are people of hope, and we live the promise of hope out. We need to live out the promise of hope. And I'm telling you, there are times when I've had to remind myself of this verbally. I need to live out the promise of hope. I need to quit listening to people who go, you're finished, you're done, you can't get it done, you just make a mess. Pray for me because I battle those all the time just like you do. But we who know Jesus have hope and we should live out that promise. So remember what you've got, come on, you've heard it enough now, is not what we will have. It's not the same. So I I just want to suggest to you, as we become people of hope, as we live that out, even though we don't have enough resources, what little we have, God is wanting to take the little we started with and he is wanting to multiply that and change it and transform it into something that looks like a thing that we could never manufacture. We can do a lot. But we can't do enough, ever. We could raise a lot more money, but we will never raise enough. I can preach a lot of sermons, but I'll never preach enough. 
There's a thing where what we have will never be enough and we have to have some kind of a sense that what God is going to do surprise us that as we open up and say, this is all I got, that God says, okay, I'm going to do even more. You know, just like the kid who brought a few loaves of bread and a few fish. What have you got? I've, I've barely got a snack and you need a banquet for 5,000. No way. But if you open that up, What can I do with it? What will that look like? What you've got is not what we will have. So you sit here and you go, Pastor, I'm going to try to tithe this next year because I know our budget's tight, but there is no way my tithe is going to make up what we've trimmed and cut back and quit doing. What you've got is not what you will have. Or you say, you know what, Pastor, we're going to, you know, we're moving our kids' ministry into one room instead of two or three because we've only got a few. We only got a handful here. And you go, man, we're just, we're losing. But what you've got is not what you will have. Or you say, you know what, we've got some messed up kids and, and, and kids that are disobedient. Cookies. cookies. What are you doing? I have cookies, one for a penny. <laughs> cookies. So what you have, what you've got is not what you will have. So you're offering a cookie for a penny? I happen to know everybody here has a penny. Even your blood sugar, what you've got is not what you will have. So be careful. Be careful, folks. Yeah, we've even, I think Kayleen's even got some gluten-free cookies back there for a few very special people. So uh, she'll run them out to you. You see, God gives us a little bit. And sometimes it seems like it's no way near enough. But when we release it to him, he replaces that with something that is far more desirable. And I know, for some of us, a a, a cookie covered with frosting is not that desirable. But I'd rather have that than my bunch of pennies. I'd rather have that too. That's worth all those pennies. So in this passage, I, I, we'll take a moment. You guys need to turn your pennies in for cookies. You can hang on to it for, for dessert, breakfast tomorrow. Sid's not giving up his penny because he's holding out for even more. That's faith, my friends. That is faith. <laughs> In fact, I, I think that after the church is over, worship's done, we've got enough cookies that you could probably get two for a penny. 
God will really double portion. You know, that's, that's what Scripture says. Well, as we're, as we're getting our cookies and enjoying them, and let me remind you that, that Christ wants us to be willing to take the resources he's put into our hands and exercise an amount of hope with that. And say, you know what, Lord, what I have, if I release it to you, becomes something beautiful, desirable, noteworthy. Oh, wow, pennies. No cookies yet. I got to keep talking, so. But as we read this passage and we get through, and Jesus says, you know, things are going to look really bad. People are going to be terrified, but I'm coming. Your salvation is near. Then he goes into this illustration where he says, you know, look at the trees. You can even tell by trees when they start to bud that things are changing. That's easy. In the springtime, it's easy to go outside and go, wow, there's already buds on there. There's already blooms on the blossoms on that tree. The weather's changing, and we know we're, we're used to that kind of a change. But unfortunately for us, we have such a short attention span and such a deficiency of faith. We do not anticipate that just as regularly, excuse me, just as dramatically, just as apparently, God brings spiritual transformation. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to what God is doing in us spiritually over the next 90 days. That's why you got a booklet. That's why you got a cookie or a penny, whichever you prefer. Because hope means that we will look for a better future, a better ahead. Hope means we lift up our eyes. We don't just look at what we've got. We look at what's ahead. Hope means that we believe that where God is taking us is better than where we're standing right now. And so we must live out that hope. And so as you enjoy your cookie, I just I want to suggest to you that you have something that is worth far more than a penny or a cookie. God has given you life. And he has given our church life. And what he wants to do over the next 90 days, the next year, the next five years, is better than where we are now. What he wants to do in your family, at your job, at your school, is better than where you are now. So I want you to take action with me this morning. And weekly, here through these 90 days, I'm going to challenge you to do something that takes some action. I'm going to challenge you to do something after church is over, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, somewhere in the rest of the week. I'm going to say, okay, now do something with that. Because in order for transformation to take place, we've got to be involved. It's got to be real. And so I want to ask you this. Just, just take a few moments as we wind down our worship and think about this. What is it that you really hope for? What is it that God has laid on your heart that is a deep longing, that you think it's a holy longing? And it's not just a, you know, a carnal desire, and I, you know, Lord, I hope for you know, a big mansion and a sports car kind of thing. But I mean the kinds of things that God lays on our hearts for our loved ones, for our city, for our nation, for our church. What is it you hope for? And, and try, to, try to keep it to two or three things. But be realistic and be honest with yourself and say, you know, Lord, if there's one thing I could ask of you, it would be this. If there's one thing you could do for me, 
in the next 90 days. It's this. I know what mine is. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I had a little more advance notice than you did. And at some point I'll share that, what I'm asking God to change. And I know, just like some of you, as you're thinking about this, that in order for that change to take place, it's going to take a miracle. I mean, I'm not asking God for warmer weather or a balanced budget. I, what I'm asking God for is going to require way more than me. Way more than what I hold tight in my hand. Because I believe what I have, what I've got, is not what I'm going to have. Band, come on up and... Uh,